I'm Jasmine Shojinaga. I'm Ryan Shojinaga. And today we're going to talk about the floral industry. Um, this topic was suggested to us by a friend, um, Sophie, who wanted to know what the environmental impact of the floral industry was in the wake of Valentine's Day a few weeks ago. So to start us off, I think Ryan's going, going to um, go through, put us in a bit of context about how much, just how much money the floral industry is worth on an international scale. Yep. So I'll give you a few numbers about the floral industry and some other agricultural industries and maybe some other, just some other areas. Um, I'll give some oil and gas numbers, but uh, just as a qualifier, the numbers that I have sometimes span different years um, and potentially different currencies. So I'll try to, um, as much as possible, give the currency and the year. Um, in 2003, cut flowers was a $100 billion industry. Um, mind you, this was an unsubstantiated Wikipedia quote. Uh, I have other, th- other um, numbers, for example, like from 2004, which says it's about a $10 billion industry worldwide. Um, that's, so that's collected, the whole world collective. Correct. Yeah. yeah. $10 billion. Now, the, these numbers might be... Uh, I tried to get total industry number, including um, uh, also all of the indirect production costs, um, as uh, uh, all of the costs associated with the floral industry, including revenue um, from direct sale of flowers. So sometimes um, where I saw a number, um, that information wasn't necessarily given. It was just sort of, uh, you know, all the floral industry made this much money in 2000X. But anyway, by comparison, um, the coffee industry, uh, the coffee exporting industry in 2012 um, was a uh, $173 billion U.S. dollar industry. Um, I think similar to the floral industry uh, in that it's consumed by industrialized nations and produced by the world's underclass. That's the general consensus. Yeah. Um, for sort of a larger context, oil and gas uh, is approximately a $5.5 trillion industry. Whoa. But it's probably one of the, you know. The biggest ever. Yeah. Uh, those, are the, those are the worldwide numbers that I have. Yeah, okay. Me. So floral industry, $10 billion. Oh, mate. I, I don't know. It's, it's a multi-billion dollar industry, but to be honest, I, I, I would feel uncomfortable placing it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but if we're talking about... You know, coffee, hundred and seventy. You know, it's it's one of it's not, it, it it's a billion dollar industry worldwide. Maybe not one of the monsters, but it is a billion dollar industry worldwide. Well, it's also well, in um, production of uh, flowers in Australia alone is um, it that is a that is a one billion dollar industry. Just in Australia. Just in Australia. So, did were you reading something somewhere about the not total agriculture, you know, which included all agriculture in Australia, yep. and the floral industry accounted for about two point seven percent of that. Two point five percent. It was. It is about a one billion dollar industry out of a forty billion dollar total agricultural business. Okay, that's significant. It's significant. I would amount. say so. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. When when you compare it to the likes of uh, um, uh, livestock which is about 
Yeah. And that's just for me. Um, grapes, which was which include grapes for consumption and grapes for wine, is also a billion dollar industry. Oh, so as it's well. the same. So it's about the and same. that's for wine. Yeah. So that's an alcohol industry plus like food. Nutritional yeah. food. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, to continue on that, talking about first world consumption, consumptive habits of flor- uh, flowers. Um, I have an economy uh, in the U.S. of about $25 billion in 2014, and then a total European, a European Union flower economy of 21 billion euros in 2012. Hmm. Um, the holiday significance of uh, the flower industry is that in the United States, it's about a $10 billion industry just for holidays alone for the five uh, major holiday or five biggest holidays yeah. in which uh, flowers are bought and, and uh, given um, Mother's Day Valentine's Day Christmas uh, Thanksgiving and then there's another one I can't remember what it is but yeah so for anyone who's ever wondered where the flowers come from what kind of impact they do have on the environment we've got some good information about this Majority of floral products in the States are imported from Central and South America. And the two most common places that they'll import from are Colombia and Ecuador. So another, it's a bit of another example of the, um, the upper class consumerism of a product from the underclass. Mm-hmm. So what's the problem with that? I mean, because really you could look at it like this, we're providing a livelihood for people in third world countries, which is certainly how Britain, Britain's uh, Prime Minister a couple of years ago viewed the situation. Um, I, I think uh, in Colombia, export of cut flowers constitutes about 4% of their total export market, um, which is significant. Yeah, yeah. Um, compared to other uh, countries, it is probably the highest um, percentage of total export uh, or one of the highest mm. percentage of the total export for any company for cut flowers. Actually, so it's a, it's a big part of their, it's a big part of their economy. Yeah. Do you know where Britain gets their flowers from? Um, they used to get them from the Dutch and apparently now they get them from a place in Kenya. Uh, it's a fairly high um, plateau lake. Um, well, I think 60% of the flowers uh, coming from Kenya, come from a place called Lake uh, Nevada. Nevada? Nevada. Yeah. Um, Excuse the pronunciation mm. if that's wrong. Um, 10% of the industry flowers are produced in Britain. Mm-hmm. What about Australia? I don't know. <laughs> um, all right, it's kind of the opposite. In Australia, 10% of the flowers sold in Australia are imported. So the most most of the flowers sold in Australia are... Australian grown, mm-hmm. and most of them are sold with usually about 100 k's of the farm they're grown on. Okay. Um, so in Australia, then, flower industry really is pretty close to a billion dollars. It is, but we still do import 10% of that, which is still pretty significant. And when we do import, those imports come from Kenya, India, Colombia, Ecuador, Singapore, Thailand, Malaysia, South Africa, mm. China, Vietnam. So... Yeah, like more third world countries that we're importing from as well. 
And I think that largely is because of labor and um, the nature of these industries, the labor structure, and it, that it's these are fairly labor-intensive bi- well, uh, businesses. Yeah, they are. They're not as labor-intensive in those countries because of the climate, though. Like, if you think about all of those places, they're fairly warm. Some of them are tropical. So they actually, they're easier to grow there. And while there is, like, a lower labor cost because they don't pay their workers as much, um, it they do, they, you know, flowers just work better in warmer climates. But we can talk about this later. A lot of times, whether it's first, uh, whether it's tropical or otherwise, they're generally grown in fairly... Um, strictly climate-controlled environments. They're grown in greenhouses. Well, yeah, but you temperature, don't... Temperature-controlled um, environments. That's true, but you don't need to control humidity as much in a human in a place that's already humid, if you understand what I mean. Like, they, they use... The, the carbon footprint that they would use in the Netherlands, for example, to produce flowers is a lot higher than what it is in Kenya. Because they just don't need to... They don't have as much temperature regulation. But it's still a fairly labor-intensive industry. And it labor is labor-intensive. Kind of, yes, that's all I was saying. But not energy-intensive. It is, because it is still energy-intensive in those countries. Because yep. whether... Regardless of whether you are on the production chain, you're going to have to control the environment in during growing and control the environment during, control the environment during transportation. And... In controlling that, you have to you know you have to burn fossil fuels basically. Yeah. So in um, even if uh, when you're transporting them, yeah. But I actually read um, a document that said that it actually used more energy to produce in. I've seen the same yeah. thing okay. that it it, ta- it to to grow the same unit of flowers in the Netherlands is five times more expensive and less five times less energy efficient, if that works, than it is to grow in Kenya. Generally, they have selected these places, these uh, in Colombia, Kenya, Ecuador, etc., that um, that have less variability in climate, more consistency in rainfall. Yeah. But nevertheless, they're, they're still um, labor-intensive. Yeah. But um, interesting that you brought up rainfall because, like, the... You know, cut flower industry is quite water intensive, isn't it? It is. Actually, Lake Navaisha in Kenya is a protected wetland area. So, and they're using it for, you know, mass production of cut flowers, which is an extremely um, water heavy industry. I wouldn't say extremely. I would say it's flowers are 90% water. But in terms of the application rate, uh, flowers in Australia, Australian application uh, is about um, five megaliters of water per hectare per, per year. That doesn't mean anything. Which means that relative to the other industries such as rice, yeah, um, cotton, uh, other crops like that, it ranks fifth in terms of water application in Australia. I've read other play, I've read other sources that say up, upwards of twenty so four times that number twenty megaliters per hectare per year. 
That's still pretty um, high. It's high, but I wouldn't say extremely. I'm just trying but, to well, paint a context yeah, okay. for Yeah, okay, all right. It's um, not, maybe not extremely, but it's high for a country that already experiences water scarcity. There's already water scarcity in Kenya. Sometimes, so sometimes not. I mean, in this particular location, is there a water scarcity? Well, I don't know, but it could be moved and used in other parts of Kenya where there are water scarcities and no access to clean water and no irrigation for crop, for farmland. Well, the thing that I've seen with regard to um, the appropriateness of growing flowers is, you know, could we use this land for something more productive, like food? Fruit in countries, growing food in countries that, you know... Where starvation is a massive problem. Yeah. 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 Um, the other issues, I guess, and if, you know, if we're talking about Ecuador or Colombia as well, and just any other, um, you know under like third world country that produces cut flowers are um, workers rights and trade unions like these just don't exist in a lot of places mm-hmm. like you know you hear things like there's child labor concerns because um, there's no regulations over that um, cut flower workers and this is a this is a um, study by international labor rights forum 55 percent of cut flower workers and because the majority of them are women 55% of cut flower workers in Ecuador reported having experienced sexual harassment on the job. 19% of them reported a co-worker or a superior forced them to have sex. 19 So that's a fifth of that labor industry mm. has been raped at work. So By, by men who by predominantly men who pre- make up the managerial yeah, and, and exactly. ownership situation. Yeah. Uh, I think furthermore to that, um, to the... To the non-unionization, the uh, child labor, etc., is um, exposed, and this is sort of borders on the environmental impacts, is uh, the exposure of humans to uh, pesticides, herbicides, Mm -hmm. fungicides. Um, The incident, like you said, 50, you know, a good number of them are women, um, sometimes pregnant women. Yeah. And the instances of um, miscarriage, uh, malformation, congenital uh, conditions um, as a result of exposure to these chemicals is pretty high. Yeah. Um, that's another impact. Massive impact. When you think about, you know, how much it's sort of focused on that we, like, wash fruit and vegetables and how pesticides are affecting hormone production and, um, you know, implicated in some cancer growth and things like that, and these people work with them every day. So, I mean, not... It's the workers, it's the... Like, because, you know, you know, the the floriculture drains through the groundwater, so you've got pesticides moving through the groundwater. Where this is sort of more your area of expertise, right? Mm. Do you want to explain this? Yeah. How does that affect pollution of surface water? The thing about pesticides, herbicides, and fungicides is that generally to, to maintain a monoculture, which is what uh, flower cultivation often requires, it's like... Um, similar to a golf course. If you go to a golf course, they're pristinely managed. They're mm. very aesthetically appealing. But when you sort of dig underneath, you realize that this is a highly maintained environment. It's it's not a natural environment. Mm. Biodiversity is amazingly low. Um, similarly, the cut flower industry you know requires mm. significant application of um, uh, of these chemicals. I think one of the things that we're discovering in the late 90s, 2000s is um, 
the phenomenon of what's called a, an endocrine disruptor. Um, that's what a lot of these chemicals end up doing. So what in humans? Human humans, but more uh, more in in the wild. So like to animals or frogs. To, yeah. Frogs. Any sort. Even of, you see like the three legged frog or the the six eyed fish. You know, on the Simpsons mm. because of you know uh, because that that's what that's what that is. So it's it's disrupting uh, hormonal regulation. Yeah. In fauna in the wild. And enzyme production. Is that part of endocrine as well? I would imagine. I don't know anything specifically about that, but yeah. Yeah. I would imagine it's that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so but, but sorry, to, to, to harp on that point just a bit more, um, the thing that makes a lot of these things uh, dangerous is their persistence and the unknown of their impacts. A mm. lot of these have been tested only marginally. They've been tested only enough to pass certain government regulations, and in countries where <laughs> government regulations aren't necessarily um, as stringent as they would be for uh, for countries um, like America. See, that's sort of the complicity of the first world of Europe, the States, and Australia. Yeah, so in we, this can industry. Use so, the, we can so use we, the pesticides in third world countries to on on their flowers. workers and on their yeah. environments, where we don't have to we don't have to directly bear the responsibility yeah. of doing that. Yeah. Yeah, so what are some of the chemicals they use? DDT? They still oh, use they DDT? No, they don't use DDT anymore. I can't imagine anyone manufactures it. Well, that's what the ecologist is talking about. Mm-hmm. British Environmental Journal, actually. Um, just in 2013, they were talking about DDT, dieldrin, methyl bromide, they're no longer in use in the industrialized world, but they still get used in Ecuador. Shit. DDT is one of those that hangs around in the environment for ages. It doesn't, mm. it doesn't biodegrade. Yeah, it sticks around, and furthermore, it bioaccumulates in, thing, in animal biomass. So it's, uh, uh, fish eats something that... Actually, has, no, sorry, not Ecuador, Africa. Africa. Yeah. Um, so that it bioaccumulates through consumption. Yeah, so um, I guess it's sort of just the conclusion that you can come to there is that, you know, environmental destruction and, you know, it doesn't improve quality of life and it doesn't protect the environment, it doesn't protect the people that work in the industry either. And furthermore, it doesn't provide necessarily a living wage for those people working. I mean, it's mean. It's more than probably what they would get if the industry would yeah. be scraping by on uh, potentially less... Uh, lucrative means but nevertheless you can't be guaranteed any kind of mm. decent wage because you can't you can't mobilize a workforce um, you just don't have the same kind of workers rights so it's kind of hard to make the argument that a lower carbon footprint um, is a good reason for shipping roses to Australia or the UK not necessarily I think that if um, and I think if, this, thing, if, if conditions were changed in those countries, then yes. Yes. But at the moment, the carbon footprint's probably not the main concern, is it? Um, <laughs> probably not, but it's one of those sort of those easy indicators that we can point to to say, see, we're doing the right thing, mm-hmm. when, when in fact it's ignoring all, all of these other things. Yeah. What the housewives of Australia need to understand is they do the ironing.
I, I think that uh, the climate change science uh, is far from settled. Takes I know the, the fact that we have had cooling global temperatures over the last Well, today is International Women's Day. And in an act as magnanimous for women as the repeal of the carbon tax, Tony Abbott trumpeted plans for an annual biathlon to celebrate International Women's Day. Abbott announced the event at his International Women's Day lunch on Friday, held two days before International Women's Day on Sunday. He described the biathlon as something that allows women to display their own talents while still being included in events that are traditionally male-dominated. The non-discriminate event combines a 10-kilometre run in high heels followed by a wild pig shoot. The winners of the biathlon will be presented with a $5,000 shopping spree during Abbott's annual luncheon, which he plans to hold at a men's-only club to further demonstrate his competency as Minister for Women. Good morning, sir. How are you? Oh, really? Well, clearly pleased with himself over his International Women's Day triumph, Tony Abbott didn't let his arm strain from patting himself on the back stop him from his other governmental duties. In true frat boy fashion, the coalition government brushed off the Dorito crumbs and rushed down to the professor's office to submit their intergenerational report, or IGR, a month overdue. The LNP's 2015 IGR has already been compared to Gabriel Garcia Marquez's 100 Years of Solitude as a work of fiction about a banana republic. However, in contrast, the IGR lacks any connection to reality, nor does it have any convincing literary style. Conspicuously absent from the report is any significant reference to climate change, though the report does ask us to accept fictional economic forecasts so that the LNP can promote what's likely to be an unpalatable budget come May. While said budget probably won't contain the GP co-payment, it will ask that women and the elderly suck it up and pull their weight so that Abbott and his ilk can go on earning a decent wage while the gender pay gap gets bigger and bigger. Hang on, Ryan. Did you actually read the intergenerational report? <laughs> no. No, I refuse to read the report. It's obviously biased, and it's a partisan exercise. No, I'm not going to read it. I mean, if Tony Abbott ends up the Prime Minister of Australia, I mean, you've got to say, God help us. What else? What other environmental impacts are there? So, one other... Uh, impact is, um, I've mentioned uh, mentioned this before, is the the climate control uh, aspect of flowers. Mm-hmm. Um, when a flower gets cut, um, the magic number is 34 degrees Fahrenheit, which is about one degree centigrade. Uh, flowers persist for uh, at that temperature, but in order to maintain sort of optimum condition and quality of the flower, that's the magic number. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have basically a lot of um, fossil fuels going into refrigeration refrigeration yeah um, it takes about four days from when uh, flowers cut in say Kenya or Colombia to when it reaches um, the warehouse in the country say UK or the United States and then from there it's about another day to get onto the shelf for retail mm. um, another impact is <clears throat> these uh, flowers are typically grown um, due to the necessity of water. They need to be grown, uh, or they're often grown close to urban areas. So there's this competition for between um, prime ag- agricultural land 
and urban expansion. Um, in addition to that, on top of that is the uh, is that competition for resources such as water. Mm -hmm. And so you have, um, I'm sure this is the way it is with a lot of other agricultural um, industries as well. So competition between other agricultural requirements and people? And people, correct. Yeah. Right. Um, again, and that goes to the whole, uh, the argument of, well, what are we really using these for? And I'm not saying that flowers are not... Uh, um, nice. You know, they're a symbol of many, many things. Uh, and they're very nice. They smell good. They look great. Mm. Um, but, at the, at, but at what cost? Uh, and if we still feel that flowers are sort of one of those valuable things in our life, is there some other way can, we can, um, we can get them without it. having yeah. to... Anyway, so then the last one I have is... Um, uh, oh, that was it. So um, I just want to say a few things about the Australian floral industry because there was some commotion in Australia a couple of years ago in 2013 between the Australian floral industry and uh, Woolworths and Coles as well as a few other little, um, you know, floral companies who were, they, they believed were misleading consumers by selling freshly cut flowers that had been grown in Kenya, Vietnam and Ecuador. Um, they were flown into Australia and appeared on the shelf up to seven days after they were picked, so about the same time frames mm -hmm. that you were talking about before. Um, and just the fact that no one, no, none of the consumers who were purchasing the flowers were aware of the fact that they had been imported from... And they were probably buying them, at least some of them, on... Under the belief under the that they had just they, been cut yeah. in Australia. Yeah. And a, a, a spokesperson for Woolworths at the time said that um, the flowers they sold met all Australian labelling requirements, um, which is interesting because there are no <laughs> labelling requirements well, in Australia. They haven't lied at any point. They haven't lied at any point, <laughs> but, but this is the problem. So Australian floral industries sort of has been trying to push for... Um, labeling of country of origin so that consumers can purchase flowers informed especially with all of the issues that come along with the like we were talking about the underclass yeah. providing the upper the, so how long ago was this this was just a couple of years ago end yeah. of 2013 i just think that's interesting because um, i've noticed that uh grocery retailers are now at least on their produce providing information on where food comes from yeah there was, um, they, there was yeah, sorry, there was an article in The Guardian like two days ago. Yeah. yeah, well, but even on a personal level, I've seen labels and, and you can scan certain products to uh, get more information on the, the producer. Oh, yeah, that's right. You found a bag of spinach in our fridge. Yeah, yeah. and you can, you know, you just scan with your phone, mm. information pops up on who they are, what yeah. the things they grow, etc. Um, things like Ardmotor, um, can fruits and vegetables as well have been um, re-labeling, re redesigning their labels so that they have, um, you know, a picture, an actual photograph of the family yeah. that grew the fruit and where they come from yeah. so that people know where they're buying their products from. Yeah, it's interesting that I, I think that the flower industry sort of flies under the ra radar in the sense because they're not a consumed good. They're not sort of subject to the same 
quality standards that say... That's true, but there's still 2.7% of the agricultural industry in Australia. Like, it's still part of the agricultural industry. It should, it, it should be part of... Right, I'm not saying it's not. I'm just... It, I think that that, is, that could be one reason that, that it does, uh, doesn't get as much attention yeah. on that front and why there are no regulations um, mm-hmm. and why Coles and Woolworths or whoever uh, are saying... Look, we've got fresh flowers, and you know, yeah, um, we've we've adhered to all standards and codes of practice, and mm. and they haven't lied on any front, but clearly they're misleading. You know, it's and so I mean, even though like if we put it into perspective, ten percent of the flowers that you there's a ten percent chance that you will purchase a flower that was imported, or flowers that were imported, but that's still a contribution, and I think that. It's um, it's really important to be aware of where you're buying them from. Yeah, I, I think it's somewhat comforting here in Australia that uh, that they ninety percent of them are grown locally, mm. or at least uh, on you know Australia grown. Yeah. Um, but so, what are the environmental environmental impacts in Australia of growing cut flowers? I don't know. I know that 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 five megaliters per hectare per year. That's an Australian number. Okay. So, so that's, that's something water that, consumption. Right. Yeah. And 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 that falls behind um, rice, cotton, uh, I think, some other horticultural goods as well in terms of water consumption. Mm. Rice, mind you, is immensely water intensive. Um, yeah. But I don't think it comprises a good portion of uh, the agricultural economy. Mm. Um, so there are some sustainability, like you know when when people become qualified to be a florist, they do have to, there are, you know, they have incorporated sustainability into their training modules as well, Mm. just to make people aware of the fact that, you know, they could use more environmentally friendly, um, you know, um, water, water usage, all that type of stuff, refrigeration, um, yeah, and just trying to minimise their impact that way, especially yeah. in relation to energy use, because in Australia that's quite a big one. But they do also do things like, you know, they try to use environmentally friendly wrapping and ribbons, and that's a that's something that's been introduced into the Australian floral industry in the last few years too. Um, and then, you know, just they also sort of um, train them on how to dispose of different types of waste, so your hazardous substances you know, disease flower and plant materials and, and weeds and yep. things like that. I think too, here in Australia, um, the regulation, uh, at least in letter of the law, is pretty good. Mm. Um, in practice, I guess it probably depends on what government's in office at the time. But um, mm. and there's heaps of stuff you can do um, that I found, such as uh, like integrated pest management, which is a more holistic means of um, assessing and addressing um, pests, um, uh, unwanted weeds, etc. That look at things like life cycle of these things, uh, and rather than applying chemicals, just sort of on a um, you know a broad brush sense, you're dealing with the more economically. It's cheaper to to do that instead of paying for to do what? What are you uh, doing? Integrated pest management, IPM. Yeah, but um, it's different to pesticides. How you're targeting specific points at which. Um, they're vulnerable. They're vulnerable, or, or yeah. you know, uh, well, like in you know when they're in egg form or something, right? Or yeah. or larvae. When it's, it is applying some chemicals, but you're not you're you're uh, uh, strategic about it. Yeah. 
and responsible yeah. as a result. Uh, other things include like water reuse, um, similar to grapes, where it's a fairly water intensive um, practice. Uh, in the states, at least, they uh, the wine industry is um, is a massive push to uh, recycle, reuse water, mm-hmm. so on site treatment and reuse um, as much as is possible. Yeah. Um, especially in California, where a lot of the uh, grapes are grown, um, which is apparently going undergoing one of the worst droughts it's seen ever. Mm-hmm. So um, they obviously have some vested interest in, in being a bit more sensible with their water. Mm-hmm. Um, alternative energy use, use during production is one. Um, but the thing that I've seen, uh, the thing that I think is driving a lot of reform in the industry um, is consumer uh, consumer awareness of these things. Yeah. And just asking the question of what we're doing. Where did the flowers come from? How are they produced? Um, who produced them? Yeah. In what manner did... Um, so should we just buy locally sourced flowers? I don't think that's an. I don't think that's a necessity. I don't, as long it, as, I don't think it's an answer either. I think that because similar to what we talked about before in terms of cut flowers as a part of these economies, the the thing that we have a difficult time um, is is the, we have a difficult time with is um, making sure that how they said they were grown by whom yeah um, is true and whether or not fair trade was involved, whether or not um, adequate workers' rights were in place, whether yeah. or not the appropriate environmental um, protections were in place. Mm. Um, I, I guess we probably have a bit less faith in that. but I think that the consumer is starting to demand those things from retailers. Though. Right. I mean, like the and that's what it's going to have to take, asking for it and making it part of their um, decisions. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because that, that ultimately, I think, is what drives um, retailers, um, their habits as well. Yeah. Hmm. I don't really have any other information. So I guess what we're saying is, is buy local as much as you're able. In Australia, I don't think that that's a difficult thing. If you're unable to buy local or if you're unsure, Maybe buy a box of chocolates. Oh no, wait, you can't because we don't know much about the chocolate industry. <laughs> either, but anyway. it's got to be something dodgy with cocoa. Yeah. Um, buy him a bag of coffee. Oh no, wait, <laughs> that too is. Um, um, you know, I don't think it's necessarily. I think that I would have huge issues now purchasing flowers that I knew came from Africa or South or Central America. Just because those conditions, although I, I did read some information that said they were improving, yeah. still are not right. um, ideal for labourers. Or the environment. Yeah. So, um, I think in Australia at the moment, it's just a big push for labelling. Yeah, awareness, education. Yeah, is keep, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's and hard look, to say, like, it's hard to say no, don't actually, buy flowers, because you know that yeah. their economy is... You know, it, it is. That's right. It's um, at least in certain areas, it's almost wholly dependent on uh, mm. dependent on that. Yes, that was a good topic. Thanks, Soph. Thank you, Sophie, and thank you, listeners. 
And we'll see you next week for a discussion about... Women in Combat. That was suggested by Rachel James. Thank you very much. Thanks. Bye. Bye.